0: Thank you for tuning in to the Movie Geeks United Anniversary Series. In this episode, we've pulled a 2008 interview from the archives of our sibling podcast, Back by Midnight, to celebrate the 35th anniversary of War Games. The film starred Matthew Broderick as a high school hacker who inadvertently set the stage for a possible nuclearized World War III. Director John Badham who was arguably the king of 1980s summer blockbusters, took over the reins for Martin Brest after he exited from the project early into filming. Mr. Batham discusses this and much more in the following conversation with Back by Midnight host Arinata Diaz. David Lightman was a master at computer games, a
1: fast thinker. Ah, oh, David. Maybe you could tell us who first suggested the idea of reproduction without sex. Your wife? (laughs) Get out, baby. And a promising student at an old game.
0: Hi. With an electronic twist. Are those your grades? Yeah. I don't think that I deserved it, F. Do you? You can go to jail for that. Only if you're over 18. This computer company is coming out with these amazing new games in a couple of months and i want to play those games wow what we got something
2: he found the right code word to play the game
0: we're in but it was the wrong computer shall we play a game how can i ask you that how about mobile, thermal nuclear war fine all right <laughs> trajectory headings for multiple impact re-entry vehicles
3: how's that name
0: i don't know but it's great
3: all stations this is Crystal
0: palace I wonder if i should use my subs 22 typhoon class submarines departing petropavlov what in the hell's happening here oh my god shall we i have seven correction eight that's eight Lindbergh. get on the sack tell them to flush the bombers the russians are still denying everything sir who are you working with Nobody. I do not believe you. Dane, we have
1: Soviet missile warning. Based on your arrest, pending indictment for espionage. Espionage! Confidence is high. I repeat, confidence is high. Dane, is this an exercise? Negative, this is not
0: an exercise. Give me president on the horn. It's still playing the game. It's gonna start a war. Close up the mountain.
1: It's clear. It's clear. It's
0: clear! Is this a game or is it real? War Games, playing soon at a theater near you.
3: Shall we play? We, I talked to you earlier on a different show because Summer of '83 was really uh, turned out to be your summer, and I know part of it was just uh, by accident because your other film that summer was Blue Thunder, and they decided to to that decided that studio decided it was a summer film, and so it's just by. Uh, uh, serendipitous that both films came out i guess i think was in three weeks of each other right so,
2: one one uh, the blue thunder was originally like uh february or something like that until somebody had a you know a better thought and went wait a second <laughs> yeah put this in the summer and then suddenly you know i've got two films back to back looked like i did some kind of magic trick but uh all i all i did was you know just work a little harder
3: well and also well and also the the, the story behind the the, the job you, you the way you got the job is is interesting in that uh you you came into a tense situation where you were replacing the original director and it's it's very rare I mean there there's there's many stories uh, uh, in the history of Hollywood of directors coming in after another director has been dismissed and and it's very rare for the f- finished product to be uh, as confident the piece as War Games, uh, so uh, did you when you when you when you got the call? I mean, it was a great script, but were you hesitant about knowing that you're going to be taking over uh, someone else's project and they were going to be feeling kind of raw from that severed relationship from the director?
2: Well, you know that there's there is in the history of Hollywood too uh, some great films, Gone right. with the Wind being an example. And, and The Wizard of Oz being another example, right in the same year at the same time, that each went through two or three directors that I know of, uh, you know, and great product resulted. So, you know, you can find stuff both ways. Now, when I read this script, my agent said, oh, there's this, you know, film in trouble over there, and, you know, they want you to read it, but don't touch it. And I said, well, what if, what if it's any good? and And he had, "Oh, I didn't think of that, so I read it, and i said this is this is great, you know this is a charming, wonderful script. So I went over, I knew the producer I had worked for Leonard Goldberg uh before, and he showed me he showed me what they had shot and 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 basically what it was that that Marty Brest, who had prepared this picture so brilliantly i mean Every time I went to work, I, I would see examples of how, how, what a good job he had done getting it ready. But he saw the movie in a darker way than the producers did. The producers wanted something that was a little more light and entertaining and a little funnier. And, 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 and Marty had a pretty dark take on it. And, and so, uh, I tend to see things in a funny way and I and I I you know explained to them what I, what I thought I would do differently and and so that's that's what I did you know went in and we we shot a lot of Marty stuff and 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 some of it that we kept is wonderfully funny there's a a scene with Matthew, Matthew Broderick and two computer geeks that's an absolute delight and that Marty shot
3: Yeah that well that's uh one of the, the I guess one of the highlights of the of the film, it just those those mixing of voices because it's Matthew Broderick, uh, the wonderful Eddie Deason, and then to kind of counterbalance those two, you have Maury Shaken It's kind of this uh, almost like uh, a jock version of a computer person. He's very aggressive, and and I, and, and what's interesting about War Games because uh, it is a high concept film, but it's a high concept film that really is dotted with. Uh, Different character types and personalities, and when I mean it, I don't mean in the script. I mean in actual, the picking of the casting is a little off kilter. You get different kind of voices and dialects, and and and, and, uh, and just you know, genetic makeups. I mean, you have Barry Corbin, who's very good old boyish, and then you have Dabney Coleman, who's very straight arrow, and then you got these. Uh, uh, Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy, who are up and coming, and so I was, I was curious. And, and then and the opening scene is is a wonderful piece of history. And then you have uh, an early Michael Madsen and uh, and the late uh, John Spencer. So Michael these,
2: Madsen, uh, Michael Madsen, that was his first day in the movie business. Really, first day. I I believe we wrote him, you know, we wrote his Screen Actors Guild card, and 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 he was. So naive and so good. I mean, he was wonderful in the scene, and and he came up to me at the end of the day as we were going home, and he said, "Do I get paid for today?"
1: <laughs>
2: uh, and he had come all the way from Chicago to do this part. Right. And and I realized nobody had taken care of him. Nobody had helped him get a hotel or given him any any spending money or anything. He was he, he actually was looking to me to loan him some money so oh. i I took him to the production office, and we got him straightened out.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, and
2: John Spencer, God bless him, John Spencer is like a rock in that scene. he's so good
3: oh, he's terrific and he and it's all in the the uh the dialogue is all kind of weird in that it's a uh, it's one of these scenes where they're talking about uh marijuana types, and it it actually it serves no purpose, but it's one of those actor exercises that depending on how they deliver it you kind of get a sense of the personality of the two actors, even though they're talking about nothing that's connected with the story. Um, right. I'm I'm curious about some of the visual decisions you made, because uh, Tron had come out the summer before, which was obviously a computer film, but War Games was the more accessible computer film, and it really is the first film that used computers as plot device, as plot gimmick, as a, a story point, and so forth. And yet, as much as as much hardware there is in the film, you don't linger on it the way a lot of computer thrillers have done in these past, I guess, 15 years, where you know it's been more, where more more and more thrillers have been focused on a disk or breaking into a a a file, and and a lot of them have seemed to have been kind of limited in their appeal. They they I wonder how you feel about when you see these other computer thrillers and you get all this quick cutting of people typing real fast and trying to jack up suspense and it just seems kind of uh, silly where in war games where there's a lot of countdown sequences, but you don't go in you don't go in a lot for those quick cut insert shots of people typing real fast. Was that a conscious I'm assuming that was a conscious decision. You you, you want you, you stayed more in character.
2: Uh, well, character is the thing that's always gonna carry the day for you. Right. And and the rest is, you know what Hitchcock used to call the MacGuffin. Right. I mean, this could be about Matthew Roderick, you know, getting getting lost on an ocean liner or something. Right. It doesn't have to be about computers, and the technology of anything. If it was this or it was Wall Street, uh, or you know, it gets boring. Uh, to you know, even like poker car movies about poker and card games and things like that you know they get too much into the into the game and, and you you know people go I'm bored right. um, you know it's, it's it's one thing if you're sitting there you're the guy doing the typing on the keyboard and you're trying to break through but it's another thing to be sitting there watching somebody slamming a keyboard around so my my goal always was to make it as simple as possible as easy to understand, and I had, I had all our computer technicians angry with me because I kept simplifying it too much,
0: mm-hmm. and they
2: liked it really complicated. And I said, no, 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 we just want to get to the point. The guy just wants to log in. I just want him to type in, you know, Matthew Broderick, password Joshua. Boom, thank you. And, 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 uh, and boy, there, there had to be eight other steps uh, mm-hmm. in those days, you know, to do the same thing.
1: <laughs>
2: so let you know. Let's focus on the story. Let's stay with the kids. Let's not confuse people. People, people will catch up. We don't have to explain it to them.
3: Well, it's funny as you're as you're mentioning that the one film that came out I think it's two years later that to me is kind of I guess you could say the dark side of War Games and it's also about technology but doesn't linger on it is actually uh, uh, Celest- John Schlesinger's The Falcon and the Snowman, which uh, oh sure, which is. Similar in that it's about, you know, breaking into a government uh, secrets and so forth, but it has kind of the, the, the dark side of it, but once again it's not lingering on the on the on the technology of it, just once again on the characters.
2: Right. So, well John, John Schlesinger is a genius and right. you know, and and, and sudden somebody to be emulated whenever you could because his you know, he, he knows to make it about that. Right. And the rest is the rest is you know you don't want to put it down, but it's window dressing.
3: Right. Well, let, let me let's, let me ask you about a couple of the, the people, the key people who worked with you, because you had some big names behind the scenes helping you put this thing together. And uh, I get to some of the more famous names, but the one the one person who really gives the film an extra jolt of energy is a uh, composer, Arthur Rubenstein, whose score. Uh, it wasn't until recently when I rewatched the the film that I realized how much I remembered that score and how many themes I remember, even though it's a very simple theme that gets repeated in different variations. But uh, that score uh, really is a a different, is really another character in the film.
2: Uh, It's a, you know, it's kind of trying to express, like get it, almost get inside of Matthew Broderick's head, Mm -hmm. you know, as a playful, a playful kid. Right. You know the playfulness of, of of all of that, the delight that that somebody would feel if you figured out you could change your girlfriend's grades on the school computer remotely. I mean, whoa! I mean, that's so exciting. You just you you pee in your pants with well, with the the fun. I I can remember when I was a kid that we had a Coke machine at school that that uh, that cost a dime, but there was there was some damn way that you could get a coke for a penny, <laughs> and 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 you were just like tickled pink to be able to beat this machine for nine cents.
1: Right.
2: You know, and you know, it sounds silly to an adult, but to a kid, you know, you're beating the system.
3: Well, and guess the variations on on the, the I think it's a six note uh, theme that Rubenstein came up with because. Obviously, in the Broderick scenes, and when he's researching or when he's at his computer, it's a very synth pop uh, instrumentation. But then it's also it's also kind of humorous when uh, when we get to the Crystal Palace Norad sequences. It, it, some of those same things pop up, but they're obviously in a militaristic uh, instrumentation. But right, it, right, very
2: much, very much so. Yeah, and there, there our, actually used to be before the film was released. Arthur had written a couple of, of very funny, quick patter songs mm-hmm. with funny lyrics that went along with while he's doing the research, and 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 almost almost like a modern Gilbert and Sullivan kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, very fast lyrics and very kind of funny, cute things, and and um, and the, the head of MGM uh, ordered that they be taken out because he said that no movie ever succeeded because it had songs in it. (laughs) And I said, well, I did one called Saturday Night Fever, and, you know, he just got angry and threw me out of the office. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: and uh, the other great thing, because it it occurred to me when I was watching it that uh, some of the the 80s, that there's a very distinctness to 80s cinematography, and William Fraker, obviously he'd done a lot of cinematography in the 60s and 70s, a lot of Rosemary's Baby and so forth, but... Right, right. The lighting in War Games is very, uh, you know, of the time, of, of that early to mid-'80s lighting. It's very bright, and it's, and it's very, it's, it's bright, but it's soft, and it's very warm, but it has a lot of uh, primary, he makes the primary colors like the blues and, and, the, and the reds really pop. And uh, Fraker's, it, 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 he's almost like he's having fun with some of these this computer graphics that he's got to use new colors that he hadn't used in a while.
2: Uh yes, the computer graphics that were on the screen, you know, were were actually not done in post production on green screens. Mm-hmm. But 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 all of those graphics had to be generated and put onto thirty five millimeter film and then reprojected so that what you see in the movie is a reprojection from thirty five millimeter projectors behind the screens. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff was being lo- done live, and we had 10 35-millimeter projectors and 85 computer monitors all running in complete synchronization. Now, that, that I, I can just tell you. It's kind of hard to grasp that, but, but that, was, that had never been done up to that point to get that many machines running together. Uh, what would happen, of course, if they didn't run together is you is they'd be flickering and you'd be getting frame lines and it would look yeah. terrible.
3: Well, let's talk about the the climax of war games because it's a it's a beautiful finale in that it's really it's a, it's a light show, uh, and that's really the climax. This tic tac toe game turned into this very almost hallucinogenic light show. And did you think at the time like? Did, did, did anyone ever was 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 there so much concentration on making sure it all synced up that no one ever bothered that no one ever thought well wait a minute is this going to work I mean it, we're we're ending with this very elaborate light show is this really going to translate because it it it's very uh, it's very dramatic and it's very cinematic but was there any hesitation like well wait a minute is is a light show enough for audiences
2: Well you know the the uh... The concentration on making things sync up—that was kind of for one set of technicians who had that right. job. A whole other set of creative uh, computer graphics guys were the ones who who had to kind of create that light show, mm-hmm. so that when it when it was time, it would go you know berserk as the as the computer played through all these different war scenarios, and and it went faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. So that was part of their design, you know, to make it be exciting. And what we were seeing is not just a light show, but, but, we'll, but we were, you know, the plot point at that is, oh, my God, this computer is running through all these scenarios and is going to unleash missiles uh, upon Russia. Yeah. Russia is going to unleash. That's the thing that was scary about it, you know, like it had taken over. And and was completely out of out of everybody's control, and and that was the exciting part. That you know, is it going to go and blow up the world? Um, and 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 you just felt like the human beings had been completely dwarfed at that point, mm-hmm. which makes it so wonderful when the computer suddenly just stops dead and goes, "Oh my gosh." This is really a cool game, but the only way to win is not to play. Joshua. Greetings, Professor
0: Holcomb. Hi. Hello. Are you still playing a game?
2: I should reach DEFCON-1 and launch my missiles in 28
1: hours. Would you like to see some projected kill ratios?
0: 69% of the housing destroyed. 72 million people dead.
1: Is this a game or is it real? What's the difference? Oh, wow.
3: Well, how, let me ask you a technical uh, question. How how many how many takes or how many days was that that final uh, finale? How, how long? How many takes did that take? Did you do it? I thing?
2: I would say that we were on that for. <sighs> I'm going to say four or five days, wow. because it 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 was so complicated, hmm. and so elaborate that, uh, uh, you know, there was just a lot of photographing of the different screens, what the different characters were thinking. You know, it's so wonderful when you look at it carefully and you see every single character has a different reaction to the ending there. Uh, Some people are really disappointed that the world didn't blow up. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, some of the characters are really going, Oh, man, I thought it was going to be blow up. Oh, great. And other others are just so thrilled that you know we're let off the hook. So uh, that that I always thought was was so exciting as I went around and filmed the different reactions. All of these actors were so wonderful that they had generated their own individual reactions as as the characters that they were.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of characters, I got to ask about probably everyone's favorite character, and that's. Uh, Barry Corbin's uh, general, uh, who, you know, a lot of people don't note this, but, you know, usually in these types of thrillers, the military, the, the, the person who's the highest ranking military official is usually very uh, unbending and unreasonable and is usually kind of the token bad guy that you have to kind of get around and not until the last five minutes as he has a change of heart. But the, the Barry Corbin character is actually probably the. Next to Matthew Broderick, he's probably the the, the one with the most uh, common sense about everything. He he seems to be, you know, he's very reasonable about everything, Uh, and and wants to let you know. He at one point, you know, he lets the kid you know help out. He'll he'll listen to any idea. So, uh, I've I've heard uh, variations of the story, but Barry that that character you uh, you you cast Barry Corbin because he reminded you of of your father at some point.
2: That's right. Uh we, we we did have another actor in there mm-hmm. uh playing that role and I, 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 I switched him into another role mm-hmm. and I brought Barry Corbin in because uh my father was a general in the air force
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and at one point was uh you know, asked to take a very high position close to NORAD uh and and I knew him as of course I would uh very well to be somebody with great common sense and a wonderful sense of southern humor mm-hmm. you know so many of our chief military guys come from the south and the southwest and he you know he had was from alabama
1: right
2: and and so as i was working on the script and and writing it that's one character that i shaped like my father Mm-hmm. and 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 loved that he had the humor and and the good sense uh you know to see it in in a kind of amusing way mm-hmm. and 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 one of the funniest lines in the movie Barry Corbin made up on the spot and i just worked with Barry last week in an, on an episode of psych up in vancouver
1: oh wow
2: and, and and we were talking about it because i i went over to him during the shooting of this scene and i said barry you know something's wrong here here this little boy wants to get in and play you know let me at the machine i can fix it and everybody's trying to stop him and and so all of a sudden he just gets on the machine and starts playing with it you're in charge here you know you ought to say something because otherwise why don't they just pull him away And Barry goes, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I said, i got to go. So I'm running off to do other things, and then I forget about it, and we do a take. And all of a sudden, I hear Barry say, Jesus Christ, I'd piss on a spark plug if it had helped. Let that boy in there. (laughs) And (laughs) the whole place just collapsed. It was so funny
3: and it probably and, remains to probably the uh uh next to uh to the shall we play a game is probably the second most famous line of the whole film. Right. And I
2: mean it's just wonderful, pure Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> which is where Barry is from. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, you got to love him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: For the, you know, that that's when I, you know, actors, God bless them, if you give them their head and and let them have some room you know the gifts they'll give back to you like that are priceless
3: right well uh so just about to wrap this up tell me about what well, so what was it like that summer that that first weekend of, of june when it when it came out and and uh obviously it was a hit that opening weekend but then you saw that it had legs and it was becoming kind of a it was becoming part of the, the culture so you you had experienced that before uh, six years earlier with Saturday Night Fever, and was it just did you enjoy it even more that you had this other this another film was gonna had penetrated the culture like that?
2: Well, you're so relieved when it, when a picture works because you know everybody that makes a movie by the time you get it finished, you know you love it and you just. Mm-hmm you have a connection to it it's your baby but you know everybody doesn't love a baby Mm -hmm. the mother loves the baby the dad loves the baby but everybody else may think "Ooh, that baby is ugly and 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 that's the way it is with movies so when it does work you're just like so relieved and and oh thank god the thing works and uh it's it's going to be wonderful and Huh? It's, you know, I, it's just more of a sense of relief that that people got the jokes you were trying to make, that they liked the characters, and things that you were working on, you know, actually do work.
1: Right.
2: So, so instead of, I, I've never found myself walking around strutting and feeling all arrogant. I I feel like, huh? Thank God.
3: <laughs> well, let me let me ask you. This is kind of a tanky? tangibly related question because uh, just also out of uh, I guess a serendipitous thing that later that summer the sequel to your other pop culture phenomenon movie Saturday Night Fever, the sequel *Stay Alive came out that summer also and I, I'm curious that uh, in your filmography there's quite a few films of yours that have had uh, sequels, uh, obviously Saturday Night Fever and, and Short Circuit but uh, you seem to uh, is it that you've been resistant to doing it because you've only done one, two stakeout? He did another stakeout, but you didn't. Seem, you don't seem to gravitate to uh, to sequels. I would assume that the success of WarGames. I'm, I'm sure there there must have been talk of doing a WarGames two immediately. Obviously well, we,
2: there. Uh, it, it, well, actually, there wasn't, and and we worked on it. I'm going to have to run in a minute. By the way, okay, uh, and and uh, we did try some years later to come up with a sequel but we just didn't like what we came up with and uh, couldn't find a script that pleased us
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and and I didn't like the, the sequel to uh, I didn't like the script for the sequel to Saturday Night Fever so I asked to stay clear of it but I did like the sequel to, to Stakeout I thought that was very funny mm-hmm. and I would have done the sequel to, uh, to Short Circuit if I hadn't been right in the, minute, the middle of finishing Stakeout
3: Oh, is that what it was? Yeah,
2: and they they had to get a summer picture ready, and mm-hmm. and they just couldn't wait for me, so uh, you know I had to say God bless you and then let them go.
3: Oh, I, I, okay. Well, just real quick. Uh, so, what do you have uh, coming up? You you've uh, done a lot of television, uh, The Shield, Heroes, and I know you just said you you finished an episode of Psych. Uh, I got yeah.
2: Movies? Psych is on this weekend. This a uh, really fun show. Mm-hmm. Kind of an evil Knievel show, right? So that's going, and I'm just about to go off to Chicago to work with Patrick Swayze on his new series that's called The Beast.
3: Oh, okay. What? Uh, that's a new series. That is that yeah that for a network. Yeah, I a...
2: think I think it's. You know, I I don't know, but I think it's A and E. Okay. I could be I could be dead wrong <laughs> about that.
3: All right. Well, that sounds good. And I guess one one more quick question about War Games. So how? You know, 25 years later, how computer literate are you now as
2: opposed to then? Oh, I'm, I'm way too computer literate. I write programs,
3: okay. and,
2: and I, you know, I'm, I'm more computer literate than somebody ought to be who ought to be paying attention to directing instead of writing programs.
0: That's it for this episode of Movie Geeks United. For additional episodes of our anniversary series, visit moviegeeksunited.net.